Well, hello, and a very, very happy Christmas to you. It is so wonderful to get what must be one of the great days of the year, to be able to spend a few minutes with you and just looking a little bit at the Word of God and hopefully making it fun as well. Um, because I want to talk a little bit about the theme that if you've been watching at all online this last month, you'll have picked up by now that we've been using the theme, the Bethlehem story, as we've been going through this month, the month of December, and looking at different angles on the Bethlehem story. Why Bethlehem and what that means and how the house of bread, which is what Bethlehem means, is sort of at the center of the Christmas story and why it's meaningful. And so I wonder if you have a Bible, you might want to just grab it and turn to Micah chapter five. I'm just going to read three verses from the book of Micah. It's not a well-known book for most of us. Uh, Micah's writing in the Old Testament hundreds of years before Jesus comes to the earth but he's speaking to prophesy and to predict the coming, among other things, of Jesus the Messiah to Bethlehem. And I wanna just read three verses from Micah chapter five and then draw out a little bit about why Bethlehem and why the house of bread matters, if you see what, for, for, to celebrate Christmas. So Micah chapter five, verse two, Micah says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. This is the word of God. So the prophet Micah is predicting the coming of Jesus in the town of Bethlehem and saying it's a small place, as we've seen throughout this, this month and looking at the theme in the carol service, if you were able to join us, and that it, out of that little town, God is gonna raise up a ruler who's gonna be a shepherd and that's a beautiful word in the context of the Christmas story. He's going to shepherd his people, Israel, and bring security to the nation and have his greatness spread throughout the earth. That's what Micah is saying. And he's saying specifically that it's going to take place in Bethlehem, Bethlehem, house of bread. This little place that we've, as we touched on a few times, is a sort of small, marginal, borderlandy place and known as being really like a, a, yeah, a barley town or a granary town or a place where you basically grow wheat and corn to feed the cities around. And that's what Bethlehem is. And I think it's significant as we've seen that Jesus comes there as opposed to other places. And I wanna think for a moment about why that might be. So I've got a, a loaf of bread with me and I wanna ask really, what does bread symbolize that makes Bethlehem such an important place for Jesus to be born? So as we've looked already, we've seen that one of the reasons why it matters that it's the house of bread rather than the city of kings, and we saw that in the video we saw a few moments ago, is that the house of bread is not, that's not the powerful place, it's the marginal place. It's the little down at heel place where people on the margins. Turns out we actually had somebody from Barnsley turn up at one of our carol services and thought I was making fun of Barnsley, so I had to kind of apologize. But Bethlehem is, it's one of those little out of the way places, and that's one of the things that the symbol of Bethlehem versus Jerusalem means. But there's a lot of others. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, Bethlehem comes up a number of times. There's a number of people who live there or are based there. And in fact, Rachel, the great, sort of the wife of Jacob and so one of the great figures in Genesis, Rachel dies there and then Ruth gets married there and then King David is born there. And so you actually have births, deaths and marriages all taking place in this apparently pretty small, pretty random place. 
And so you have the house of bread contrasted with the city of kings and all those meanings. But it means a number of other things as well. The fact that Jesus comes to a place of bread, it's almost like the bread of life is sitting in the manger in the house of bread. And that nations are going to come not only and bring him gifts, they're going to feed on him. They're going to, he's going to say later in his life, I am the bread of life, come to me and eat. It's like saying, I've come here because I want you to see that I'm going to feed the world through me. You've got the idea that as Jesus' stories, many of them revolve around, but if you ever notice, bread, yeast, wheat, loaves, flour, harvest, seeds, crops. The, the parables of Jesus are absolutely riddled with bready imagery. And again, Jesus often tells stories about bread to communicate that this, the kingdom of God is going to be something that's really small and hidden, but gradually grows and expands, fills the earth and feeds the world. So again, the idea that Jesus is born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, is like a sort of a pointer to the future. The idea that Jesus is going to be one through whom the world gets fed on his person and that his kingdom is going to be one of life breaking through and multiplying and seeing seeds turn into 30, 60 or 100 times what they started with. He's going to, Jesus, of course, in his life is going to do a lot with bread. He's going to break it and he's going to feed thousands of people when there's only a few little loaves. And he's going to actually do that twice, at least twice. There are two different gospel stories where Jesus just takes bread and just begins to break it and it never stops coming. And it feeds a multitude of people with many baskets left over. Again, there's something about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, that seems to communicate this little boy in the manger is going to grow up and become someone who can work miraculous provision for anybody who comes to him. And again, many, many stories in the Gospels seem to stick on this issue of bread or of God providing. Turn these stones into bread, says the devil, and I'm going to just create far more than anyone needs. So there's many, many baskets left over, or whatever it may be. And then, of course, at the end of his life, Jesus is going to take a loaf of bread as he's about to go and die. And he's actually going to take it and say, look, take this and eat it. This is my body and it's been broken for you. I want you going to be united with me as I am broken for you. You're going to be united with one another as you all share in the same loaf. It's going to show that you yourselves are one body and Jesus's body, the, the body of this cute little baby in the manger surrounded by you know, with the star above and all the nativity scene, that little boy is going to grow up to be broken in half. He's going to effectively, his body's going to be given up for the life of the world. And that's going to be something that we commemorate every time we share communion as we regularly do at church and just to be able to eat and feed on the bread of life. And there's many other comments we could make, other, other things, so the, the harvest, the mission of God to be going out into the world scattering seeds, so many different pictures we could draw on. But all of those in some ways, coming out in some ways from what Micah says in Micah chapter 5. You, of all the places God might choose, you, O Bethlehem, the house of bread, you're going to host the Messiah and he will be the ruler over Israel and his greatness will be known throughout the world and nations will come to his rising and they're going to live securely. He's going to be the shepherd over all of Israel. All of these things are in, in some ways embedded in the very language of the fact that Jesus is going to come and be born in the house of bread. And so to pull those different themes together and perhaps for children watching, I, I don't know if this might help you, um, but I wrote a kid's book about that this year and, and I wanted to, I just hope it helps pull together some of the themes. I'm talking about this, the boy from the house of bread. I just want to read it and then we'll show the things up on the screen as you can see it. Because it's a story about a little boy who encounters Jesus, doesn't really understand why 
the fact that he's born in the house of bread and talks about bread all the time is so significant. But it turns out it is for a great many reasons. I just want to draw your attention to the way that the Christmas story, in that sense, casts a shadow over the whole of the Gospels right the way through to the death and resurrection of Jesus. So let me read to you from this, this story. My name is Alex. I'm eight and a half, and I come from an African town in the Med. But most of this story is not about me. It's the tale of a boy who was born in a shed, the boy from the house of bread. I first heard of Jesus from Rufus at lunch. You see that guy over there teaching, he said. I saw where my brother was pointing and looked. They say he brought two children back from the dead, a widow's young son, an important man's daughter. They say he heals blindness and walks on the water. They say he was born when his mum wasn't wed in the town they call House of Bread. I stared at the teacher. He didn't look much, no rippling muscles, no crown on his head. So I started to listen to what he was saying. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. Then he told us some stories of scattering seeds and harvesting crops and pulling up weeds. He kept on describing the kingdom of heaven with stories of flour and wheat and of leaven and feasting and everyone poor being fed. They all seem to be about bread. Once, around lunchtime, my brother and I were part of a crowd in a ravenous mood when Jesus' helper came over and asked, did you boys remember to bring any food? Just a fish sandwich, I said with a grin. Perfect, he said. So I gave him my tin. He took it to Jesus, who offered a prayer, then broke the bread loaves before starting to share. And the food just kept coming. So much fish and bread that it made an incredible edible spread with nobody hungry and 5,000 fed. I've never seen anything like it, I said. A man who can multiply bread. The trouble began a bit later that summer. They captured his cousin and they cut off his head. They started to plot about how they could kill him. They couldn't get over the things Jesus said, like, I am the light in a world that's asleep, and I am the shepherd who dies for the sheep, and I am the savior who raises the dead, and I am the life-giving bread. I didn't see Jesus again till the spring. Things were beginning to come to a head. The word on the streets of Jerusalem was that the priests and the leaders all wanted him dead. Dad was concerned. It didn't look pretty. Jesus had anchored the, angered the local committee and thousands of pilgrims were filling the city for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I woke up that Friday. The morning was chilly as Dad told my brother to get out of bed. We have to get going right now, whispered Dad. They've captured the man from the House of Bread. He knew it was coming. He said not to fight. They all had a Passover supper last night. He said he'd be captured before it was light, but in the end, it would all be all right. He said not to fear, but to trust him instead. And he left them with wine and bread. We ran to the edge of the city in tears. Don't worry, they'll put him on trial, Dad said. But when we arrived, it was less like a trial and more like a mocking parade instead. They made Jesus dress in a bright purple gown and twisted together a prickly crown. Later, he carried his cross out of town, so weak he couldn't stop falling down. I stared as a soldier in silver and red, took Dad by the arm and pointed ahead. You carry his cross, he said. Dad had to carry the old rugged beam to the hill called the Skull. He couldn't refuse. Rufus and I kept ourselves out of sight as they hoisted the man they called King of the Jews. I looked at the man on the cross as he bled. The afternoon sky became darker like lead. He finally shouted and bowed his head. My mission is finished, he said. 
It felt like the end of the world. It was. We walked back in silence and went to bed. Saturday came and I cried all day long. They'd murdered the man who could multiply bread and the hope of the world was dead. I woke up on Sunday before it was morning. Some women were chattering out on the street. They said they were heading for Jesus' grave. I decided to follow them all in bare feet. As Jerusalem's sunrise was piercing the gloom, the women arrived at the tomb. You probably know graves are closed off with stones, but this one was open. No body, no bones. How could this happen? The women all cried. Two shining strangers stood off to one side. Why look for life in a graveyard, they said. You're after the man from the house of bread? He's not here. He's risen, just like he said. Your king is alive, not dead. That week was a blur. The city was buzzing. The friends who had seen him were starting to preach. But I didn't see him until two weeks later. He barbecued breakfast for us on the beach. I loved it. He made us my favorite dish, freshly baked rolls served with charcoal grilled fish. What happens now, master, somebody said. He paused as he finished a mouthful of bread. Harvest, he answered. Go into my field and feed hungry people and see the sick healed. Tell all the world I'm alive and not dead and I will be with you wherever you tread. Now go and teach everyone all that I said and invite them for wine and bread. So that's what I did. I went home that summer back to my town in the African Met. But the rest of my life wasn't really my own. It belonged to the boy who was born in a shed, who walked on the water and rose from the dead, the king from the house of bread. We have in the Christmas story, in some ways, a little miniature version of the whole gospel story that comes from it, that God would step down to the house of bread, the lowly, the weak, the marginal, to a manger as a baby, to be weak and helpless. But in doing so, there's a a promise, if you like, that this boy's going to grow up, he's going to be the bread of life that the world needs, and he's going to draw a people to himself for whom he will both die and rise, and then commission them, us, out into the world to see his harvest, his bread, his, the seed of his word, and all of the wheat that comes with it, filling the earth as the waters cover the sea. It's a beautiful promise, and it's all contained in the little boy in the manger in the house of bread. Merry Christmas, and let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of the Lord Jesus, given, presented to us. Lord, we, among all the other presents that we might be giving and receiving today, we receive the Lord Jesus once again. We are grateful for him, the greatest gift there has ever been. Grateful for the, the pledge of God living in human form in the marginal town and growing up to become all that we needed him to be and to rescue us from all that we needed to be saved from. We are so grateful for Jesus, and we're thankful for this feast and this festival in which we remember him. Praise your name, Lord. Amen.